Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers and hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller hanging out in the Gray Smoky Mountains. All right, Ron, let's just start with the elephant in the room, and that would be an apology for your computer, Ron. So last week, <laughs> that thing, I don't know if it just went haywire on you, whatever happened, and we missed an episode last week, which is extremely rare. This is episode number 291, and so out of 291, this might be two episodes that you've missed for one reason or another. But any, anyway, dude, listen, nobody does a stud cast like Ron Fuller. So what do you say? For a juice, man, uh, you know, I have to apologize, obviously. Uh, and, uh, yeah, my computer went sour on me, man. Uh, I wanted to drop kick it, man. <laughs> you know, uh, you know and, I, and I, I did. I just about punted it away when I got rid of it, man, to tell you the truth. You know, but... Uh, uh, yeah, they, you, who can who can handle this type of stuff? You can't stay on top of computers, and you know. So I did the best I could. Uh, went through all kinds of uh, problems. It was unbelievable, man. And uh, but uh, you know, and I've only missed basically. I got to thinking back on it. I think just two episodes in six yeah. years, basically yeah. weekly programs. So yeah, I think uh, that's I think- not too. Yeah. Better record. No, not at all. And I think both of those times was due to computer problem. So it, uh, it could be. Yeah. So so this last computer, Dave, it didn't even make it six months, man. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I had a replacement part. Uh, I waited on a replacement part. They sent it to me. It didn't work, you know. And uh, so then I had to get a whole new computer. So, uh, wow. I'm just uh, glad that we're back at it again, man. We got another stud cast here. I think this is going to be a good one. And, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I bet you make up for it today, no doubt. So, listen, don't worry about it. You you can drop an elbow or maybe the fuller leg lock. Just forget about it. So, let's move forward. Why don't we and, – and listen, I love the name of this stud cast. Why don't we get started? A new star has arrived in the last stud cast in the Gulf Coast Territory. He was not only going to make a huge difference there, but he was going to make a huge difference everywhere he went after he left. In the Knoxville Territory, a huge 450-pound wrestler would be putting on a mask 
<laughs> to become a Canadian bumblebee. That's obviously why this studcast number 291 is called Hulk and the Canadian Bumblebee. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it kind of fits this episode perfectly, man. Uh, you know, so Southeastern, you know, we had discovered two huge men that no one in the wrestling business seemed to want, man. Uh, it's unimaginable. And uh, obviously we gave them a chance, uh, a rare opportunity for them to prove themselves. And they not only accomplished that, but both of them, because of their size, pardon the pun, literally, became a couple of the biggest stars ever. And today it's kind of hard to imagine the sport without them. If we had not taken a chance on these two guys, what would the sport have been like, man? And obviously I'm talking about Crusher Blackwell and uh, Hulk Hogan. So, you know, what What would the sport have missed if we hadn't taken a chance on them? Oh, no doubt about it. So, I mean, and, and that's a great question, Ron. Everybody knows how popular the Hulk was. Okay, but some may not be aware. Crusher Blackwell also made a big name for himself, having his biggest impact in probably the second largest territory in the world at that time, the AWA, the American Wrestling Association. That's correct, Dave. Uh, yeah, and he did uh, He did make a huge name for himself. Uh, that was the great Vern Gagne's territory. He covered Minnesota and uh, basically all of the Midwest, all the way out to Denver, and eventually all the way to San Francisco. So, uh, you know, Vern's wrestling history alone is a tremendous story about the sport. And for fans that want to learn more about the sport's history, uh, his story is well worth Googling. I can tell you that. I mean, <laughs> wow, he had a tremendous career and uh, was on an Olympic team while he represented the United States and as an amateur. And uh, so the star Blackwell became in Vern's territory. That's a legendary story in itself. Mm. Your four territories you created are famous for having found and trained some of the best wrestlers, some of the biggest names in the sport that we've ever known. So, but so what, why is that? What was the magnetic attraction that you ended up getting some of these eventual superstars before they were superstars? Well, I guess a lot of the reason has to do with luck, I guess, you know, that's part of it for darn sure. It's like being in the right place at the right time. And, and we picked some very of the most dedicated and determined wrestlers, uh, then gave them a second and sometimes a third chance to, to find themselves and to help them hang on. We tried to help them hang on long enough and stay with the grind of being a professional wrestler every night getting in that ring and, and uh, being hurt a heck of a lot. Uh, and we... We gave them that, uh, you know, that impetus to stay there and keep working at it long enough that they start to recognize their own improvement. And uh, that way they not give up on themselves before they made it happen. And that's basically what happened in the case of both Hulk Hogan and, uh, and Crusher Blackwell. And then uh, there's another aspect of it, too, probably, Dave. Uh, maybe it's the size of our territories had something to do with it. Now, big territories, they could fill their crews with big names. They had a big reputation. Uh, they could pay big money. Uh, they didn't have to develop stars. They just picked up, uh, picked out whoever they wanted or took them when they got a call from them, you know, and they got a lot of guys that just called and said, hey, 
I'd like to come into your territory. And uh, so they had a lot of people to pick from that were available. Uh, the smaller t- territories were forced to make difficult decisions about wrestlers. You know, they had they had not, not to, they hadn't become stars yet. Mm-hmm. And those small territories had to be willing to invest the time necessary to make their own stars. See, this is really a fascinating, really absolutely fascinating subject. I, I love talking about this. I could, I could listen to you explain this stuff all day. I'm sure you could easily tell us about it for an entire studcast, but right now I can't wait to hear more about what the Hulk is going to be doing on this one. And even more so what a 450 pound Canadian bumblebee looks like. So where exactly are we riding today, Ron? Well, man, let's start up north this time in Knoxville. Um, maybe my conversations with Bob Roop were beginning to work. Been talking about having a, a problem with him about just a five match card and several different things. Uh, so for the first time, some of the wrestlers that we had sent to Memphis were returning on this Knoxville card because he stepped out, got in touch with Rob over there in Memphis and said, hey, look, uh, we want to bring some of the stars uh, back in here on some of these cards. So uh, we're going to discuss that card, and then we'll talk about the huge bumblebee that's going to soon make his first appearance. And then uh, we're going to discuss the eye-opening TV uh, that promotes a card in the Knoxville Coliseum, this particular card uh, that has some of the old stars on it. We'll give the results of that card and the attendance. And then we're going to go 500 miles south, man, to find out about the next mobile car. We'll talk about the, our plan for Hulk, uh, for his future, and uh, how we could get him over. And we'll look at another TV down there that give everyone the results. We'll talk about the results of the matches, that mobile card, and the attendances for the, all three of the major markets in that part of the territory. And if we got enough time after that day, we're going to have ourselves a learning tree question today. All right, so we're all saddled up and ready to ride, Stud. So take us back, back into wrestling history again. So what was the card for March 18th, 1979 in the Knoxville Coliseum? Well, Terry Gibbs was opening it up against George McCrary and then a great Hawaiian star, Dean Ho. And I don't know how many people out there will recognize this name, but he was one of the best wrestlers ever to come out of Hawaii. He was making his first appearance in Southeast, up in the Knoxville Territory. And he was going to be taking on his first night on the uh, one of the Southeastern stars that had been sent from Southeastern Gulf Coast recently into Memphis, and that was Buzz Sawyer. So Dean Ho's got his work cut out for him. He's wrestling a real go-getter, man, on his first night there. And my brother returned on this card to face Ron Wright, which that's going to be a really good Good match. Uh, my, Mr. Fuji, who was at this point managed by Ron Wright, was stepping up uh, for some real competition himself. He's going to be wrestling Tony Charles, another Southeastern star that was now working out of Memphis. And uh, then Kevin Sullivan's going up against the fourth former Southeastern star coming out of Memphis. Don Carson was on that card. Then the main event was another six-man tag. Crusher Blackwell didn't wrestle with the great Malenko and Bob Roop as he was booked to the week before. But he did show up at ringside. We talked about that last week. And he cost both Malenko and Roop to lose the tag match. But he also cost Bob Orton Jr. then to lose the Southeastern title match 
with Ronnie Garvin right after that tag match from the last card. <laughs> so, and then Ken Lucas was badly injured by Roop, Orton, and Malenko after the six-man tag match was over. Uh, Ken got sent to the hospital. Uh, he was actually gone from southeastern Knoxville. Never came back to work for southeastern Knoxville after that. Did work for us in southeastern Gulf Coast in the early 80s. But uh, that was his last show ever in Knoxville. And uh, so this week's uh, six-man tag uh, features uh, the great Malenko, Bob Roop, and Bob Orton Jr. And they're going to be against Ronnie Garvin, myself, and we got ourselves, uh, I'd call him a big mystery partner. <laughs> okay, so that, that's a much better card than Bob Roop had been booking the last few weeks in Knoxville. Your last conversation with him must have kind of, I guess it kind of gotten it gotten his attention pretty good. All right, so this is a very good card. Several favorites from Memphis. Also, a mystery partner in the main event that probably isn't too much of a mystery after last week, and that's why it works. All right, this had to be a great TV. Had to be a good one for this one. Well, this Crusher Blackwell angle, man, had been a long time in the making. Uh, it had been 11 weeks since Blackwell made his first Southeastern appearance. That's almost three months later. Uh, we finally get to the bottom of what's going on with Blackwell, uh, Malenko, Roop, and, and Orton. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, um, three month, a three month angle. And finally, fans were going to get to hear today in this TV's personality profile. Uh, they're going to get to hear the story from the man himself, Crusher Blackwell. And then the following day in the Coliseum, they were going to get the outcome of this particular angle. Uh, and this Blackwell angle, Dave, I, I think was classic, man. His old school wrestling. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and never, Dave, will fancy anything like it again in the sport. And, and that part of the story is an absolute shame, to be honest with you. Yeah, I never heard it said better, Ron. Never any better than that. So what we all lost when the great old school wrestling died, I mean, you're right, it's never going to return. Well, in my opinion, man, in that era, the 1970s and the 80s, uh, was the sport at its best, man. Uh, it was filled with tremendous wrestlers and athletes, uh, uh, great, not just wrestlers, but guys that could do anything, you know, could have been stars in other sports as well. And a lot of them were, as a matter of fact, pro football players and, and uh, all kinds of different things they had done before they became wrestlers. And uh, back in the 70s and 80s, we had so many creative booker minds out there, man. And all this, these great athletes and these great bookers and these great angles, they kind of fostered, man, an undeniable belief, man, that uh, and that made it kind of the golden years for fans. And it also made it kind of a golden years for the wrestlers, too. Guys that gave their bodies and their blood for the business and for the fans. Uh, that's a perfect statement right there, Ron, no doubt about it. So what happened on the Saturday TV show the day before this great card to set it all up? Well, let's open the show with the great Malenko, Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr. at the set with him. And behind them, uh, on the big set that was behind him, was that chroma-keyed photo, a huge still shot from six days earlier of Ken Lucas on a stretcher. 
and Kevin on one side of that stretcher and me on the other side as uh, as we helped him carry him to the ambulance that took him to the hospital uh, after the match from the week before. Uh, the fans in the studio were booing this, you know, and I got to see this TV. Obviously, I was in Knoxville at this particular time and not down south. And uh, the fans were booing uh, what they were seeing on the set uh, behind them. Uh, and they were also booing the heck out of Malenko, Roop, and Orton. And uh, those three guys were just having a ball with the fact that the fans hated it so much. They were just laughing at the fans. And uh, so then the three of them kind of made a very brief, brief little uh, statement. You know, they, would, they got right to the point. Malenko started off by saying Blackwell had cost them a loss. In the six-man tag last Sunday, plus Bob Orton Jr. lost to Garvin for his chance to win the Southeastern title on the same card, and that uh, that was never going to happen to him again. And uh, and he, he said something to the effect that we've already started to get rid of wrestlers, and he said, just look at this photo behind us. And now one of them's down, Ken Lucas, and a really big one. Now a 450-pound one is going to be gone soon. So basically, you know, he's talking about Blackwell. So then he continued and he goes, uh, you know, he made a point right away. He said, you know, all three of us are scheduled now to be in a six man tag tomorrow afternoon uh, with Ronnie Garvin, uh, Ron Fuller and some mystery partner of theirs. So then he is the <laughs> Malenko had a penchant to do. He got very dramatic about it. He says, listen to me carefully with his Russian accent, he goes, uh, that mystery partner better not be Crusher Blackwell. <laughs> so Bob Orton Jr., he's standing there, so he just kind of took over, and he said, you know, if that mystery partner turns out to be Blackwell, he says, we have an attorney, and we already have a contract signed by Blackwell that he would never wrestle against any of the three of us. And if he does show up there tomorrow thinking he's going to lay his dirty farm hands on them because he was a farmer boy, you know, he says our attorney's been ordered to proceed with foreclosure on the Blackwell and on Crusher Blackwell and his stupid mother's farm outside of Stone Mountain, Georgia, and she'll be instantly homeless. So Malenko jumped back in, you know, and he said, uh, with this contract, you know, if Blackwell gets into that ring tomorrow, he said, the three of us will legally refuse to wrestle. And we'll just step out of the ring and go back to the dressing room. And he goes, then all these hillbillies. And he said, pointing at the studio audience, all of them can go home early because we won't have to wrestle at all tomorrow in any type of tag match. So, boy, that cranked up the booze again, naturally. And uh, then Bob Roop finally dived in, and uh, he told Les, you know, he said, uh, regarding the fool on the stretcher behind us, basically pointing up there at uh, Ken Lucas on the stretcher being taken uh, to the ambulance, he said, I already signed a contract last week to meet him, the Southeastern TV champion. That was Ken Lucas at that point. And he said, I signed the contract last week to meet him today for the TV championship. And he says, uh, I just want everybody here to know that I'll be in the ring on the last match of the day here to meet Ken Lucas for the championship uh, at the end of the day show. And, uh, and then he says, uh, but why do you think, Les Thatcher, that all three of us attacked him at the end of that match last Sunday and did this to him? 
So he said, pointing at the phone, you know, photo again on the set. And uh, and then they all three got up uh, and uh, left the set. Uh, they were having a really good time. Well, that kind of left the studio, man. Uh, they they were so mad. They were up on their feet and booing them. And Malenko and Bob Orton Jr. headed for the ring. They were in the first TV match of the day, tag match. Bob Roop followed along behind them. He stood in their corner. And he watched basically the destruction of two very unluckily, unlucky opponents. I can tell you the guys that were having to wrestle this trio uh, were having a real problem, especially if they were on TV. Wow. All right. That is that is a heat getting start to this TV. So what was next? Well, it was the Southeastern fans first look at Dean Ho, the great Hawaiian star. And wow, did he make a big impression, not just on the fans, but me as well. I'd never seen Dean Ho wrestle, to be honest with you. Uh, this is a guy that Bob Roop had contacted, and uh, Roop had been uh, to Japan a couple of times and spent some time in Hawaii, had seen Dean Ho. And uh, so this was Dean's first time in a Southeastern ring, and uh, he boy, he left that, man, that ring with a big win, man. He made an impression on not just the fans, but me. And then the long-awaited personality profile came with Jerry Crusher Blackwell. Uh, and so Jerry was a soft-spoken person and a very likable. He had a great personality. People loved him. And uh, so he verified a lot of what Malenko and Rupert Orton had said at the opening of the show about, you know, he signed a contract never to wrestle him, you know, and a few things like that. But he also added a great deal that they hadn't said. And, uh, so that had been, uh, you know, that he started started out by saying he'd always been a huge wrestling fan. And after his father died, he said he actually accidentally met uh, longtime Georgia wrestling star, the assassin, Jody Hamilton. Jody Hamilton and Tom Ernesto, the assassins, were one of the greatest tag teams ever in that Georgia territory. And he said that he became close friends with Jody Hamilton and that Jody... Uh, was impressed with his size, and he offered to train him to wrestle. So uh, he said that uh, Jody was probably even more impressed with his agility for such a big man. Jody, he said, Jody used to always tell me, for somebody that weighs 450 pounds, you do things that nobody can do at that size. So, you know, so then Les asked him how he met Malenko, Roop, and Orton. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty decent profile that was about to happen because uh, so much was learned about all this thing that had been going on for months. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Blackwell said that he and his mother, after his father died, mm -hmm. were having a real hard time making it as farmers. And that's, you know, been there and done that with my father and uh, big farms in Mississippi and Alabama and across the South. And mm -hmm. it's hard to make a living as a farmer. Yeah. And they, they were having a difficult time paying the payments every month on their farm. And he wanted to start wrestling. He wanted to start wrestling. He had been trained by Jody, but he hated to leave his elderly mother on the farm alone. I can understand that situation. As bad as he wanted it, you know, he felt uh, like, how am I going to leave my mom alone? So, and then from, and he said, you know, basically from out of nowhere, he goes, these three wrestlers showed up on the farm one day. And he said, they seemed like honest men. And he said, I, he said he had no idea who they were or what they were all about. Uh, and then he said, 
at the end of a long conversation and they'd spent the whole afternoon together that they offered to pay the note on his and his mother's farm. And he definitely thought, man, that then these guys were gifts from God, man. I mean, this is unbelievable. He said and all they asked him in return was to sign some papers and they would guarantee his mother could live in her home, on the farm forever. And then that they would go beyond that, that they were going to put him in the ring. They would continue his training. They would take him under their wing and then make him the best wrestler in the world. Hmm. And then he said that since then, they had completely taken advantage of him, that he had signed contracts without their allowing him to read the contracts. You know, the lawyers drew up contracts. Uh, They said, here, sign this. You know, and uh, I guess if he wanted to read it, they said, oh, you know, it's not whatever. They didn't allow him to read the contract. They forced him then to wrestle a style that he never wanted to. And they made him do all the work in the ring since the day he had met him. As we had talked about on TV and other ones, they'd put him in the ring and he'd have to do the whole match by himself. So uh, then he ended up by saying, you know, that it's been almost three months ago since all this went down. And, uh, and, and then he was, he said, now look where I am because uh, mm. I can no longer do what I love to do. You know, I, I can't be a wrestler. You know, I can't, uh, I can't wrestle in this six man tag, uh, you know, because uh, of the, the contract that I have. And he goes, my mother uh, is about to be homeless. And worst of all, you know, he said, I've lost my father's farm. Less, I mean, I've lost the farm, you know. So, wow, it's pretty, it's pretty strong. Yeah, that's some, that's some heavy stuff coming from the big dude right there, Stud. So, how, how did Les handle it from there? Well, he didn't know what to say or do. You know, he told Blackwell, you know, he was sorry about all of this, and uh, and they hoped things were going to get better with this situation. And uh, you know, what wasn't much, wasn't much else he could say, and he basically closed the profile. Uh, the next match was Mr. Fuji and his new manager Ron Wright, and they went to the ring for Fuji's second TV win. Uh, Fuji was a tremendously talented wrestler too, man, and uh, so. Wright went to the set, as he always did, and he was there only to brag about his new man. Now he's got, he lost this other guys, uh, his, his Condry and Hickerson, and uh, now he's back with, a, he's, he's got a great man, a great Japanese star. Uh, so then the last TV match, uh, it, it didn't appear that he, it was even going to happen. So Bob Root got in the ring. He's supposed to wrestle Ken Lucas for the TV championship. Uh, the TV trophy was set in the middle of the ring, but obviously there was no Ken Lucas. Uh, he had just gotten out of the hospital, and uh, he had already left Tennessee. He was gone. Uh, so, uh, And it was going to be a while before he was able to wrestle again. So why hang around in Tennessee? He went home to Phoenix. And uh, so from the... You know, he was out of the hospital, and uh, and uh, he had uh, he had uh, got just uh, taken off and gone home uh, just to try to recover. And a lot of guys did that, man, when they got injured. No matter what part of the country they lived in, it was much better to go home and recover than it was to hang around in some part of the country you weren't familiar with, especially when you had no money and you had no way to make it. So the ring announcer, Phil Rainey, made the in, he announced Bob Ruth. And then, uh, obviously, he knew Lucas wasn't going to be there. So he had him ring the bell. 
they counted, the referee counted to 10 uh, to signify the forfeit of the, of the title of the TV trophy. And uh, so uh, Roop uh, grabbed up the trophy. Uh, you know, they rang the bell again. They raised Roop's hand. <laughs> he grabbed the trophy, and uh, and he started to leave the ring. And, uh, well, the studio crowd didn't like that type of victory. That's for darn sure. He had done nothing to win it. And then uh, so Phil asked him, you know, as he was getting out, he goes, wait, 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 wait just a minute. He goes, I, I need to inform you something. You know, he said, I need to tell you that the Southeastern officials, that they've already arranged for you to have your first title defense. Since you won the title today, you're going to go ahead and defend it now. And he, and uh, he, so Rube says, who, who, who are you talking about? Who am I going to defend again? Mm-hmm. And it, he said, uh, Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> wow. I mean, now. <laughs> There's Kevin who just hit the ring like a maniac, man. He had, you know, he he had a shot at one of the guys who were responsible for hurting his partner the Sunday before. So wow, he tore into Bob Roop like crazy, and uh, Sullivan was all over Roop, and uh, until finally uh, Roop got him stopped, and Roop appeared to be setting him up to give him one of those shoulder breakers. Mm-hmm. And about the time he got that uh, ready to happen. Then uh, suddenly this big, huge guy dressed in a black leotard outfit from from head to toe. Uh, it had giant yellow bands around it, and he had a black mask on with yellow stripes around it. Uh, he showed up at ringside, and uh, there was no, <laughs> no doubt about it. With the size of this guy's body, who it was, it was Crusher Blackwell. And so Root freaked out. Same as he had done the Sunday before when Blackwell showed up, except this guy was dressed in a different outfit and he had a mask on. So he jumped out, Root jumped out of the ring and he ran to the dressing room. The ref counted him out. He raised Sullivan's hand and he gave the new Southeastern champion his trophy. And uh, meanwhile, the mask man just disappeared. So we're at the end of the show. It's the end of the fourth match. Uh, Kevin's the new Southeastern TV champion, and Garvin and I went to the set, and we took the the man in black and yellow, and uh, Garvin got right to the point, man. You know, he said, uh, Crusher Blackwell, he goes, uh, you know, uh, we know that what went on this opening of the show, that these guys uh, say that uh, Crusher Blackwell better not be in the ring tomorrow, and he won't be, because because here's our new partner. And uh, he said, uh, I went out and found myself uh, knowing that these guys are going to try to figure a way for Blackwell not to be able to get in the ring. Uh, he, he said, I went out and found myself a Canadian bumblebee. And uh, and he's going to be our partner tomorrow. The studio exploded, man. And I'm sure houses all over the southeast did as well, man. So the bumblebee thanked us, both me and Ronnie. And he said... He used to wrestle. He was used to wrestling the whole match, which he had been doing for months since he got there. And he said, "Tomorrow, he goes. I'm gonna really enjoy it more than ever, getting to do the whole match." And he said, "I'm gonna sting and squash these three big old lousy thieves until uh, until they they think they're dead." So on the close of the show, Malenko and Roop and Orton, man, they charge out to the set as Les is closing the show out, and they're screaming at Les, that's Crusher Blackwell. Everybody knows who that is. Can't be anybody but Crusher Blackwell. And uh, so Les, at the very end of the show, when he had to 
he watches them count down the close of the show, and he got the last word in. He said, I tell you what, he goes, uh, you know, he looked like a Canadian bumblebee to me. <laughs> he looked like a 450-pounder. I, I don't know. All right, that's a great ending to a TV show, Ron. So maybe one of the best wrestling TV shows ever. All right, so what happened the next day in the Coliseum? Well, Dean Ho, man, uh, he won over Buzz Sawyer. And uh, anybody got a win over Buzz Sawyer, man, had to look real good because Buzz was really, really, he was digging all the time. And uh, so Dean got his a great win. Uh, Terry Gibbs beat George McCrary, second match. Uh, Ron Wright got a win over my brother, but he got a little help from Mr. Fuji, who wasn't supposed to be there. Mr. Fuji came down on the end of the match, got Rob's attention, and Wright screwed him out of a victory. You know, so then uh, on the next match, uh, Fuji's against Tony Charles, and uh, Ron Wright returns the favor, man. He's, he messes uh, Tony Charles around, and uh, Fuji gets a win over Tony Charles. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, who uh, was the new TV tag champion, uh, got the best of Don Carson. And uh, wow, did the fans love that. They still hated Don Carson. The Canadian Bumblebee uh, just about won the six-man tag by himself, to be honest with you. Just like he said, you don't have to worry about it. I'll, I'm happy. I'll do the whole thing tomorrow. I just want to keep kicking their butts, basically. And uh, and he did sting and he squashed all three of the opponents uh, just as like he said he was going to do, and uh, and he drop kicked all three of them. As a matter of fact, and after he drop kicked them, when you get drop kicked by a guy that weighs four hundred and fifty pounds, you go backwards rather than forward. And uh, each one of them, when he drop kicked them, they went outside of the ring. He drop kicked them one at a time, and uh, as they came back in, he grabbed them, and he shot them into the ropes, and he jumped high in the air, man. And he turned back. He turned his huge rear end, man, 450 pounds toward him, jumped as high as he could, and he let him run face first into his butt, man. <laughs> and they landed on their backs with a big thud. And uh, and then it was time for the sting. And he mentioned on TV he was going to do that. He went charging off into the ropes. And he came off, dived, dive in the air, and he landed with all 450 pounds of, the, of his bumblebee on top of him. And... That was the squash part of it. Uh, so the Coliseum was absolutely going nuts, man. And uh, what a fun-filled afternoon for Southeastern fans. It was, it was big time. Wow. Okay, that's that's a big old butt. Oh, and that is a big old first half of this one, Ron. But I don't doubt that Southeastern Gulf Coast in the second half is going to be just as good with the Hulk and many others being involved. Let's take a break right here. We're going to come back and this Studcast will continue in a moment. All right, Studcast fans, on this break, let's mention Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. There's a tremendous amount of information, and that's Ron's site, by the way, on YouTube. Southeastern Rewind. You're going to find a lot of stuff and a ton of matches available right now on Southeastern Rewind. But one of the new things that you got going, you're about to hit with number three, Ask the stud. Tell us what's going on with that one. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for putting me in here and uh, helping you out on this, Dave. Uh, yeah, I'm really, really uh, pleased with uh, these Ask the Stud question and answer shows that are they're, they're, uh, they're made exclusively for the YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. 
This third one is, wow, just as good as the other two. Uh, we've had great, great audience for, for all three of them. Uh, the third one, I think, is going to be just as good, maybe bigger than the other two even. So uh, the questions are just fantastic in this one, as they are in all three of them. And we're going to be doing these uh, every third week of the month. Every third Saturday in the month is going to be uh, a new one released. And so number three is out. It just came out. It's doing great. A lot of people are, are getting a great response from fans. They're really, really loving these. And so for you listeners out there, if you are interested in question and answer type shows, this is about as good, I think, as you're going to find anywhere uh, great questions from people, not just in this country, but uh, all over the world. It's pretty amazing where where the questions come from. And uh, so uh, take your time uh, to look, look for us on Southeastern uh, Rewind on the YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. These things are free. They're uh, normally at least an hour. All of them have been just over an hour. And, uh, wow, it's kind of like if you're a historian, uh, there's some great, great uh, things in there that uh, will be very, very interesting for fans out there. And uh, hope you all will uh, go to it, uh, Southeastern Rewind, YouTube, and uh, Ask the Stud number three. Hey, let me ask you, because if anybody wants to get involved, they can go to your social media right now and get a question in. It may not be on this month, but it'll appear at some point on Ask the Stud. So your Facebook page your Twitter page, they can go there, find you on those and ask a question actually, right? Yeah. I leave the post there once a month. Uh, it gives you an opportunity fans out there to ask your question. And, uh, it's a great way to get involved and, you know, uh, and good to be recognized. There's a lot of fans and the questions are so good. I really love it when fans, uh, leave me great questions. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I think, uh, they listen back, and, uh, well, uh, I hope they're uh, – I'm enthusiastic about uh, uh, the questions, and, uh, and I do my best to answer them in a way that that uh, that's going to make uh, people understand the sport better. And so it's, uh, it's a great show, and, uh, and, uh, and I really, uh, really encourage you, man, if, you, if you're not already with us, uh, Southeastern Rewind on YouTube, subscribe now. And go back and check out these first three uh, Ask the Studs question and answer shows. All right. And when does the next one actually hit? It will come out the third Saturday in April. Uh, and uh, every Saturday, uh, the third one, uh, about uh, usually around 12 o'clock noon uh, Eastern time, uh, these shows come up. And looking forward to it, uh, leaving your questions. Uh, I'll be uh, putting a new post out uh, this coming week, as a matter of fact people where they can leave their questions oh so if you got a question then now is the time so be ready and check out the stud over the weekend especially on the youtube page southeastern rewind and of course the social media to get the question in if you want to do that on facebook and on twitter southeastern rewind on youtube ask the stud you got to check it out all right welcome back episode number 291 this stud cast is called hulk and Canadian Bumblebee. Welcome back, everybody. So where do we ride now, Stud, to get into this second half of this Studcast? Well, we're headed into Mobile, Alabama's Expo Hall, man. Uh, just three days after the Knoxville card that we just talked about in the first half of this one. Uh, so I think it's going to be March 21st uh, 
is the day that this card in uh, this card in Expo Hall, Mobile, Alabama. The first match on that card was my cousin Roy Lee Welch uh, wrestling against another newcomer that had just arrived down there. That Louis Tillet had found a guy named uh, Ben Alexander. Uh, second match was Punk Rock Wayne Ferris, the future honky tonk man. He's going to be up against an old Mobile favorite, uh, Greg Peterson, for many many years down there in the area. Lived in uh, Bonifay, Florida, and then uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, was making his Mobile debut versus the now popular Herb Calvert, <laughs> who uh, was also challenging the crowd every week to see if anyone uh, would like to come into the ring, try to beat him, and uh, he would give them five crisp $100 bills if they could. <laughs> uh, then the Gladiator and the Wrestling Pro were up next. Uh, they'd had a 30-minute time limit draw the week before, and the match for this week was going to be with a one-hour time limit. And then the new Southeastern Tag Champions, Rip Tyler and Eddie Sullivan, uh, now were managed by Billy Spears. Uh, they were going to be defending against hometown boy, Ricky Fields and uh, Terry Latham, a great team, two young guys that were really, really talented. And the main event was for the Southeastern Championship, Dr. D, David Schultz, defending against the man he had attacked for the last three weeks in a row uh, in Mobile, uh, Norvell Austin. <laughs> That's another good six match card. Okay, and I don't want to I don't want to distract or move a, a aside from what you're talking about, but we are going to be talking about Hulk, the man we know is Hulk Hogan for the rest of this show and then shows to come, of course. You're referring to him sometimes as just simply Hulk. And why is that? Is there a le- legal reason for that? What's why just Hulk? No, I mean, you know, he started uh, for us. We're the first wrestling company, Southeastern, that he ever wrestled for. And, uh, you know, uh, when uh, I first saw him and Louis first saw him, mm-hmm. uh, Louis told me, uh, Ron, he goes, I, I want to call this guy the Hulk. And back in those days, the Hulk was a pretty big feature uh, in, in television. The actual Hulk, the bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hulk. Lou Ferrigno, so, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, obviously <laughs> Hogan had big, big body, uh, great body too. So, uh, you know, Lou, Louis said, let's just call him Hulk, the Hulk. Wow. So that's where he got that Hulk from. Later on, uh, probably in his third or fourth territory that he worked in mm-hmm. was uh, for Vince Sr. in uh, WWF before it became WWE even. And uh, he got that name. I think that's where he got that Hogan tied on to the end of Hulk. So Louis Tillette, your booker, is the one who first used the word Hulk in association with who was to eventually to become superstar Hulk Hogan as we know him today. That's correct. He, it's where he got the, the name Hulk, that part of his name. Uh, that uh, he was so famous for came from Louis Tillet and uh, Southeastern Wrestling. And then eventually he goes to WWE to become the, the man we know now. And they they you, they you stayed with Hulk and just added Hogan to that. Is Set me up about Louis Tillet. What's his, is he still alive? I apologize. I think Louis is still alive. Yes, as a matter of fact, I believe he's alive. And I think he, lived, he lives in North Carolina. Wow. I, uh, I wonder if he... Has uh, has the I'm surely he knows I'm the guy that named Hulk Hogan Hulk for the first time. Oh yeah, he's the guy basically <laughs> Dave that uh, that discovered him. 
that went to made the trip to Tampa to meet him. Right. And to see what he looked like. And, uh, you know, and then to offer him opportunity to come and work for us. Uh, and who made a star out of him. Uh, wow. We're going to be talking about so much of Hulk here in the next uh, six or eight uh, studcast about uh, how we got him over and things that we did for him to make a star out of him yeah. that nobody else ever did. Nobody else figured that out later on. Yeah. So, and you, uh, you mentioned earlier the Hulk. That was a name that was uh, synonymous with uh Lou Ferrigno, of course, who was very popular in the late 70s at the time. And so I wanted to make sure that folks know and understand you're just using the word Hulk because that's what you were calling him in southeastern Gulf Coast when he first joined his first wrestling job. That's it. And he would later on become Hulk Hogan. Wow. uh, And that's where he would become a worldwide star. There's so many firsts that you're associated with. Uh, th- that's just really fascinating to me. Hulk Hogan got his first job from you and you and Louis Tillette said, yeah, we'll, okay, call him, call him Hulk. Why not? So that's amazing. And, and as you said, a lot more to come about this eventual superstar. All right. I assume Montgomery and Dothan, Alabama, were getting the same card that you talked about earlier. Is that the case? That's correct. Man, uh, yeah, we were doing it every week uh, because it made sense. They were far enough apart. Fans didn't go from one uh, market to the next market. Uh, and uh, later on, that was not going to be the case. And we had to change those cards in those different towns because we became so popular that fans were driving. Uh, they would drive 150 miles one way to see these cards. So, you know, they'd see sometimes the matches in three cities in one week as we grew. But, uh, yeah, that was the case. Uh, this this card in Mobile was the same card in Montgomery and Dothan. And uh, we're going to talk about the TV show that promotes it. And uh, five days before the Mobile card was going to be put together, uh, uh, that TV show was built for Mobile in mind. Uh, but, uh, obviously, it was the same matches in the other major cities. And it worked out perfectly for us. So Norvell Austin in this particular TV show joined Charlie Platt at the set for the opening of the show. And he watched uh, a video of David Schultz attack him for the third week in a row in Mobile. This was shot in Mobile. And uh, this first part of this video uh, was going to be focused on Norvell and Schultz and the incident between them. But another part of the video is going to be shown in the personality profile of this one. So uh, these were great videos that came out of these arenas. And Mobile had such big crowds and such wild, wild audience that uh, they were, it even made the videos better. So uh, Norvell, you know, uh, started out by talking about what he was seeing on the screen. And he told us, you know, he couldn't figure out why Schultz was so focused on him. Week after week, you know, he kept jumping him from behind. And then he wasn't even involved in the matches that Norvell was having. And they, and then, then he said, you know, maybe, uh, you know, less. it's because Billy Spears and his mama were putting some money in David Schultz's pocket on this particular match that night. And this was a crazy match. Uh, it was a match in which the loser of the match left the town. And if uh, Jimmy Golden or Norvell Austin lost, then they lost their belt. And also the guy that lost had to leave town. But if Billy Spears lost, if the, his team lost, which was Tyler and, and Sullivan, Eddie Sullivan, then Spears had to leave Southeastern. 
So Norvell had a good point. He says, you know, maybe this meant a whole lot to Spears that his team didn't lose this match. And uh, that's why uh, he thought that uh, Spears had been lining Schultz's pocket to make sure that he kept uh, Norvell out of the way. And that's exactly what happened on this match, uh, one in which that eventually Golden lost and Spear and had to leave the southeastern area. So uh, obviously, uh, Spears Schultz got the deal done, man, for Spears, because Jimmy had lost and he was gone from Southeast. Mm-hmm. But then Norvell said, you know, now that was going to come back. You know, he said, to, told the fans, he said, this is all going to come back to haunt Schultz, because Jimmy Golden's gone now, and he goes, I got no partner anymore. I don't need to be a team guy anymore. And uh, you know, he says, I think it's high time and an extra good reason. For me to go after Schultz's belt. Now, he's been doing this to me for three weeks. I want a shot at his belt. And so the studio popped, obviously, on that one. And then Norvell went in the ring for the first TV match. And he showed just how determined he was to get Schultz's belt. He did his uh, diving headbutt, but he hit his opponent so hard with the headbutt that he knocked him unconscious. Sent him out of the ring onto the floor, and he wasn't wow. getting up. Wow. He had to go out there and get him up and roll him back into the ring and then pin him. <laughs> it knocked him out cold. Then the second match had the same wrestler in it, uh, you know, that had shocked the studio audience the week before. And this time it was no different. The studio crowd went silent as soon as they saw him come around uh, the dressing room door at the television station. And, uh, Charlie Platt told me later he was surprised that the crowd had the guts to poo the Hulk at all, even a little bit, he said. And he, he said because this was his second TV match, uh, they now knew he was a heel, so a few of them did boo him, you know. And he said the others were so intimidated by him that they, they, they didn't even didn't react much to his match. And the problem was they didn't get to see him but about half as much in the second TV match as they did in the first one. Because when the bell <laughs> rang, Hulk just reached over and grabbed his opponent by the by the hair, the back of his head, and mm-hmm. uh, and he ran him face first across the ring and into the turnbuckle. So hard it knocked him out. <laughs> Guy went down on his face, didn't move. So, uh, so then Hulk, uh, you know, what's he going to do then? So... Uh, you know, Hulk just snatched him up, put him in the bear hug anyway. And he just slung him around. The guy's arms are just flying in the air and flailing around wildly. And the referee finally gets the match stopped and rings the bell, raises Hulk's hand in silence. I mean, they don't even boo this time. You know, they're just, the fans didn't know how to accept him. He was such a... <laughs> He had such an impact on fans. And to add a little more impact, for the first time in this match, the Hulk faced the cameras, and he gave that very impressive trap shot that he was going to become so famous for in the future. You know, he cranked those shoulders, the arms out there, and popped his traps up there. And uh, Charlie said as soon as the Hulk disappeared into the dressing room, the studio crowd started buzzing, and uh, probably those people home did as well. Wow, wow. So do you think the Hulk came up with the trap shot on his own? Was that his thing? Uh, no, I, I got a feeling, man, that this went back to the booker again, to Louis Tillette. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Terry was so young and so green. He was terrified about uh, maybe doing something wrong. He wow. was so concerned he was going to do something 
that we didn't want to happen. And uh, wow. And uh, so, so it being that green, there uh, was no doubt, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> th- he was getting the fastest push any wrestler in history ever had in his first yeah. few matches. It was unheard of to be winning your first matches in the ring on TV. I mean, that just didn't happen anywhere in the world. It only happened because of his size and what he looked like. See, that really fascinates me because the studios that he was filmed in originally, this TV show, pardon me, was originated in Dothan, Alabama. So, and that same TV show, correct me on this, it was also seen in Montgomery, Mobile, any place else? Well, later on, it's going to be seen in Birmingham, Alabama. It's going to be seen in uh, Mississippi. It'll be seen back in Tennessee. Wow. I mean, it, you know, then it all emanates out of that small WTVY studio in Dothan, Alabama. Yeah. And so that's amazing that I was sitting there watching it that day when this guy, the Hulk, as we're calling him now, came on the scene. And it's amazing to me to hear you talk about how green he was. And he was afraid that he was going to mess something up because he was new to this business. And then when you look at him, well, obviously during his career, just the word confidence is never doubted. This guy just ruled everything that every ring he ever stepped into. That's amazing. Listen, I saw quite a few of those early TV matches in those days, but the, the ones that really got my attention was when he put the bear hug on some of them and they, and this is weird. They would start bleeding from the mouth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it was so, he was so green, Dave, and in order to really get him over, whether it was on TV or in the buildings, mm-hmm. we had to focus on just one move for him because right. he didn't do a whole lot of wrestling moves. And uh, that one move that he, he could do very well was the bear hug. Yes. Right? <laughs> you know, and, uh, so when these wrestlers started bleeding from their mouth, uh, mm-hmm. that's when his persona really took off. You know, people saw him put the bear hug on him and the guys give up. Yeah. But when he squeezed them to the point that they bled from their mouth, uh, that's what really made a difference then. Then that he became something more than just this big, huge guy. He, he became somewhat a monster at that point. Uh, yeah. You know, and it... And it not only did his persona take off, but so did the southeastern houses down there, you know, in that part of the country. Business just went crazy. Oh, because we we saw him on TV and he was like looking at Andre the Giant. We'd never seen anything like that on TV before as far as wrestling goes. Of course, Andre was the eighth wonder of the world. And then this Hulk guy was like, have you people were calling people on the phone? Have you seen this guy? And so then, oh, he's going to be at the farm center. He's going to be, re- holy cow. So the Hulk stuff is really amazing. Seeing how fast you guys made a monster out of him. So that's that's really cool. All right, so what happened on the personality profile, Stud? Well, Billy Spears and his new Southeastern Tag Team champions, Rip Tyler and Eddie Sullivan, were on live. And they were sitting right next to the fans, the the, the uh Little profile setup was right next to the fans sitting in the studio bleachers. Almost could touch the fans from where these guys were sitting. And both wrestlers had their belts there, and Spears was in rare form. And uh, Charlie said they watched the same video that Norville had watched in the opening of the show, except this 
time, they used the part of the video that was focusing on what was happening to Jimmy Golden rather than Schultz attacking Norvell. So uh, it showed all three of uh, Billy's, you know, Billy and his two two, two guys. Uh, it showed all three of them pounding on Golden behind the referee's back. The referee is trying to get Schultz separated from Norvell. And in the meantime, all three of those guys uh, took advantage of Golden and uh, showed Eddie Sullivan getting a pin on Jimmy. Uh, this was uh, a loser leave. And uh, then the new champions, uh, they got their belts. And Spears and Schultz were kind of standing on the floor there in the building in this video at the very end of it. And then uh, you can see the crowd just coming from everywhere, man. I mean, there's another one of those angry mobile mobs, man. I mean, the, the you know, fans covered them up, I mean, and they fought their way as, as they'd had to do every week uh, back to the dressing room. The profile ended with Spears uh, giving each of his boys another gift for mama, man. Counted out five more $1,000 bills to each of them. For making, uh, you know, he said, this is something from my mom for you guys making me the manager of the Southeastern Tag Champions. And uh, then he made a special announcement that he had a surprise for all the fans in the arenas come next week. All right. So, I mean, Billy Spears and his mama's money. Was just kind of sickening stuff, and and what was the surprise? I don't know how somebody didn't get hurt bad in Mobile, especially Spears. That's crazy. So what was next on the TV show? Well, I'll I'll let uh, Billy handle that surprise later in the studcast. But next up was the first challengers for Spears' new tag champions. You know, uh, Ricky Fields and Terry Latham. And, uh, boy, these two guys were a really good team, man. And crowds just loved these guys. Uh, Charlie said, no, this was the best match of the show. I didn't get to see these shows, but Charlie and I talked uh, a lot about what had happened in the shows uh, constantly. And Charlie said it was the best match of the TV show. And Louie put him against two of the new heels in the territory rather than uh, regular job boys that just come in to lose. He put him against punk rock, Wayne Ferris and the new guy, Ben Alexander. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Charlie said feels and late them won, uh, you know, uh, a beautiful, they, they won with a beautiful double drop kick on Ben Alexander because as the tag match went on, punk rock uh, decided that he didn't like Ben Alexander and he just left him alone. And there were both of them. <laughs> so they double drop kicked poor Alexander and uh, this match, it went almost 20 minutes long, which is a long time for a TV match. But, uh, you know, when you got a really short match like the Hulk Hogan deal where, you know, he just slams the guy's face into the turnbuckle and knocks him unconscious. And, you know, they last uh, less than a minute, the whole thing. You know, somebody's got to make up for that time. So then the last match on TV was, again, uh, given to the Southeastern champion, David Schultz. And Booker Louie Tillett told me that uh, Schultz was fast becoming he says, Ron, he's become an extremely good champion. Wow. And he said, uh, you know, and Schultz was one of those determined guys. I mentioned earlier in the studcast back here about we take these young guys and you give them the opportunity and then, uh, you know, they start to see it. And, you know, Schultz was at that point. He started to realize he was getting it, that he was getting over. And he, 
it could you get a feel when that happens to you as a young guy and you've been through all the work and put forth all the effort yep. and now all of a sudden your matches start just cranking up every night the crowd just wow. gets into it more and more and uh it it's 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 a great feeling so charlie said he kind of felt sorry for the tv guys they had to go in the ring with the shorts on the end of every show, you know. <laughs> and so, and then Louis told me he backed that up. He said, "You know, Ron, he goes, uh, I'd have to find some new job boys." He said, "It just keeps this up. I can't get anybody to wrestle me." <laughs> So, you know, that's a problem you run into, and I can see that happening with Schultz. He's pretty far out there. I was watching Southeastern TV back in this time frame, of course, as we as I was talking about earlier, and I, I always I always felt sorry for whoever was going to be in the ring uh, wrestling Schultz. I thought this was a really good, solid TV show, by the way, Ron. Two guys knocked unconscious, not counting what happened to Schultz's guy. So what went down in Mobile five days? After this TV, well, Roy Lee Welch beat a newcomer, Ben Alexander, new guy in the territory. Uh, punk rock, Wayne Ferris, uh, future Hall of Famer, uh, uh, honky talk man, got the best of Greg Peterson. And the hog was up next, man, against Herb Calvert, who had become somewhat of a baby face. Uh, and it was because of the very delicate way that Calvert handled these wrestling fans from the crowd that wanted to challenge him to see if they could get his $500. And, you know, he had never hurt any of them. And he was always so nice to the ones that challenged him. And, uh, and even to the point of he made a point of picking them up off the mat and shaking their hands and, you know, uh, uh, you know, putting his arms around them and hugging them. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, so... Fans had kind of gotten to where they liked Calvert, right? Now he's got, now he's got the Hulk here. So, uh, and uh, you know, so it was a typical, you know, mobile thing uh, that on this particular night, instead of having one challengers, most cities at this point, Calvert had done so many of these, he got no challengers. But on this night, he got two challengers from the crowd, and uh, so when Calvert went down to the ring and he made the challenge. And the two guys came out of the crowd. The Hulk went down to the ring, too. And he just stood out there on the floor, and he watched. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, the, then the, the, Calvert took care of business, and he showed the ringer, the arena fans, and then and, and, and then the challengers that were in the ring, the five, the five $100 bills that he had. Here mm -hmm. was his money. He gave the money to the referee, as he had always done, because you mm -hmm. can't wrestle, and where are you going to put the $500? Mm -hmm. Gave it to the referee to hang on to. So uh, immediately after he beats the second challenger from the audience, you know, this is Hulk's first night. Bear in mind, it's the first time people have ever seen him live, right? So, uh, you know, he stands there, he watches this deal, and then immediately after Calvert wins the second match, you know, and Calvert reaches down, he picks the guy up that he beat. Hulk bolts in the ring, man. He nailed Calvert from behind. He shoved the fan down and put him with his foot, booted him out of the ring into the floor. And then he picked up Calvert and he put him in a bear hook. Uh-oh. And he started swinging him around. And, you know, and the, the, the match, the second match hadn't been officially uh, said it was done. And uh, Hulk's already got Calvert up in a bear hook. And the referee tried to stop him as best he could. 
you know, and then when he couldn't stop it, he signaled the timekeeper. and They started ringing the bell to stop the match, a match that had never officially won, as a matter of fact, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So when the Halbert's, Calvert's arms went limp, uh, Hulk just dropped him like a bad habit, right? I mean, uh, you know, he'd done what he wanted to do. And then he grabbed the referee and he turned him upside down and he held him with one hand around the ankle <laughs> and he reached in there and got Calvert's $500 out of the ref's pocket and he left the ring. Wow. That is what a way to get started for real. All right. So that had to be some real heat on the first night he was ever in the city. Yeah. So let's just say he got, you say he got everybody's attention. I can tell you that. And then, and like most times in mobile, with heat, you know, and people were jumping up out of their seats and getting in the aisles to try to stop you. Nobody tried to stop him on his way to the dressing room. <laughs> they showed him a lot of respect. <laughs> Louis said they, they kind of had everybody just sit there like, wow, I, we don't like it, but I, what, no one messed with that. So there was another inspired thing, you know, surprise in store for everybody in the next batch, just like Spears had promised. He's on the TV uh, the Saturday before. And uh, the wrestling pro came to the ring uh, first for his special one-hour time limit match with the Gladiator. And uh, they'd had a 30-minute time limit draw the week before. Now it was an hour. And when the Gladiator started to ring, the building exploded in booze, man, uh, because uh, – he was proudly ex- escorted to the ring by his new manager, Billy Spears. So Billy's got him a tag team, and now he's got him a, a, a gladiator champion. So it sounds like Louis Tillette, the new booker, was packing the heat. Yeah, he was, man. Uh, and, and it was always a good booker, you know. Uh, you know, Louis had, Louis had great success in booking. He booked in Georgia. He booked in Florida. You know, and uh, and uh, and all good bookers believed in heat, man, and heat was money. And uh, he was going to give Spears some more of it that night, too. He was going to attack that, jam that heat on Billy. And when Billy uh, ended up screwing the wrestling pro in this match with the gladiator, he got the gladiator's hand raised, uh, you know, so... He was he was really cranking the heat, and uh, that was going to it did not it didn't automatically turn into money, but it always eventually turned into money. And uh, so you know, Hulk was his first night there. You can uh, Gladiator's not been there very long. It takes a while for it to happen. So the Southeastern Tag Championship match was a, yet another opportunity for Spears to add some more heat. So uh, Ricky and Terry Latham were the first ones to get to the ring, and when Spears brought his champions down, Tyler and Eddie Sullivan. Uh, they stayed on the floor, and, and Spears got the microphone from the announcer, and he notified Fields and Latham that this title match was only going to have a 30-minute time limit on it. A fans booed, you know, uh, but it didn't stop the young boys. They didn't care, man. They they just, in fact, they went out on the floor and started getting taking dire business with Tyler and Sullivan, threw them into the ring, and. Bell rang, and uh, wow, so the young boys were in charge, man, for what Louis said was almost the entire 30 minutes of the match over the older wrestlers. And both Tyler and Sullivan were quite a bit older than these young guys. 
And uh, Sullivan Tyler just kept leaving the ring during the match, stalling for time, because it's only a 30-minute time. I've been Fields and Latham had that building on their feet, Louis said, for the last five minutes of the match. And when the bell rang in the 30-minute match, Spears and his team, <laughs> he said, they literally jumped uh, onto the floor and, and ran for the dressing room. <laughs> they were like, thank God, it wasn't another two minutes, you know. <laughs> they wouldn't have held on to the belt. So in the Southeastern Championship match, Norvell had Schultz beat, but Schultz threw him over the top rope to get himself disqualified and to save the belt. And uh, that was a scenario that we saw a whole lot of world champions use when they needed to, too. All right, that was a very interesting night for fans, no doubt. So how about the attendance in those three major cities? Well, Montgomery had 2,600. Dothan was 3,000. And Mobile was 3,800. It was the first time Mobile had been below 4,000 in the year of 1979. And uh, and it was also the first time that Mobile's crowd had been smaller than the Knoxville crowd. So, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 was, it was really, things were really changing down there. They weren't headed in the right direction, but there was reason for it. Okay, so I can see Southeastern Gulf Coast dropping badly now. Obviously, the Memphis situation had taken its toll on it. And we're sorry to say, everybody, but we're not going to have time here at the end of the show for a learning tree question today. And hopefully we can get back to that next week because that's always very fascinating to see what you guys are thinking about. Hey, listen, on Facebook, go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee stud. Like and follow him there to become friends with a living legend. Twitter. Find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch also and follow him there too. Check out the website tnstud.com tnstud.com for every super stud cast. Every super stud cast. Every stud cast ever done and the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs and your personally autographed copy of the Brutus novel. All right. The YouTube channel from Ron is called Southeastern Rewind. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Don't miss the exclusive YouTube YouTube Ask the Stud 3. We talked about that on the break. Great question and answer show. It is up now. More than 20 short rides with the stud are huge hits, and a new one goes up every other day. YouTube Southeastern Rewind is the gateway to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It's the Stud's tremendous streaming channel where you find everything that is the Tennessee Stud. There are now more than 200 hours of classic old school TV shows from Gulf Coast to Southeastern to Continental to USA Wrestling, all in the order in which they were recorded. That's how it was meant to be. Classic ContinentalWrestling.com, plus 19 chapters of Ron's audio version of his best-selling novel, The Lion Novel, Brutus, six stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, Wendell Cooley, Mongolian Stomper, Dirty White Boy documentaries, and so many more. All of this, only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year, plus the free one-week trial still available. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. It is the best deal in wrestling. Okay, another great one, Stud. So where do we ride next week? Well, we're going to be headed in the southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, where we're going to be back talking about the Hulk again, and uh, and we're going to see what it takes to make his uh, 
And for him to make the biggest impression yet, man, uh, we're going to take his size and strength to the next level uh, when for the first time they're going to see uh, a wrestler that is in the ring and in his bear hug that starts bleeding from the mouth. And another great card with two TV titles uh, on it, uh, the TV show promoting it, uh, the results, and uh, much more. Uh, then Southeastern Knoxville, we're going to talk about uh, the fourth annual Night of Champions. Big card there, headlined by NWA non-sanctioned lights-out match between the Canadian Bumblebee and the Great Malenko, plus three championship matches and the first tournament match for a $20,000, 24-foot Bayliner boat. Wow. So uh, a lot happening up there in Knoxville. The TV uh, promoting it will be talking about the results of the matches and the attendance. And the next Memphis card on uh, March 26, 1979, uh, we're going to give you that card. Uh, we've been doing that every once in a while. Gives people an idea of where the people are coming from, who's on those cards, and how many guys are from the southeast. And uh, hopefully we'll get to a learning tree question next week. And I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, glad to be back with you. Uh, thanks for being patient with me here. And please take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.